The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. It is gorgeous outside. Little chilly today, but it's still a beautiful day here in the Auburn Opelika area. Hope you're all doing well as we are getting to the halfway point of the week. Hope you're all doing well. Jacob, go with Carter Bird with you for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Carter, happy Wednesday, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to be here. The uh, very fall weather is continuing this week. I love it. I love it. it. Is it supposed to to warm up at all? Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to get back in like the 70s, I think, and maybe even like the high 70s over the weekend next week. Trying to play golf on my my weekend off. Oh, are you really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be uh, 70 Friday, 74 Saturday, up in the mid-70s next week. So it's going to get a little warmer, whatever. But I'm good if it stays in the 50s. That's my perfect temperature is 50-something with the sun out. I love it. I think it's awesome wearing a long sleeve pullover and jeans in the studio, uh, not having to wear the the weird combination of shorts and a long sleeve and then being hot in the afternoons or wearing jeans when it's sunny. I'm just I'm not trying to deal with all that. I like it to be a little chilly so I can wear some long sleeves, a sweatshirt maybe, and some jeans or some sweatpants if I'm at home. You know, I like it a little bit cooler outside. But it's a gorgeous day, nevertheless, here on Wednesday afternoon. We've got two hours of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. We've got a lot to go over today. Uh, We're going to talk some SEC basketball as the SEC basketball media days are going on right now up in Birmingham. Uh, We'll kind of get you thinking about basketball a little bit because believe it or not, we're less than a month away from SEC basketball getting underway. I guess it's college basketball. Of course, SEC won't start until uh, late December, but college basketball is less than a month away, so kind of want to get you thinking about that a little bit as Auburn football was on the bye this week. Uh, at 2.30, we'll talk to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Uh, we'll get his take on the Georgia program as of right now as they have a bye week this week as well. Uh, kind of get his takes on the SEC East and Tennessee's big win over Alabama and kind of how the fans at Georgia are feeling right now now that the dogs have a little bit of a threat or not a little bit a big threat in the SEC East right now so we will get Jordan Hill's opinions on that coming up at 2 30 we've got a lot to go over in hour number two as well so it's a busy show today we'd love for you to call in and be a part of the show be on the line 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us call in uh, and give us your thoughts opinions about anything that we are talking about but as we get into uh, the show today like I said it's the SEC men's basketball media day going on right now in Birmingham uh, for the men's team or the men's media day the women's media day was yesterday the men's media day is today and Auburn was picked to finish fourth in the SEC by the media today in this upcoming 2022 season honestly 
with with the guys that Auburn lost and with how the season ended last year for Auburn basketball, being picked to finish fourth in the SEC, and especially with the talent around the conference in college basketball in the SEC right now, being picked to finish fourth is not all that bad in the preseason. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's you lose two All-Americans, and now you, you're still projected to finish in the top half, top four of the conference. Get you're projected to get one of those first round SEC tournament buys. That's pretty strong in a league right now that has Kentucky and Arkansas and Alabama and all these teams at the top that are playing Tennessee. Really, really, you're right. I I skipped over them. My fault. That's but, okay. Uh, but but that that group of five at the top and then Florida kind of in there in that six A and M in that six seven spot. That's seven really, really strong teams that you can put with about anybody in the conference or anybody in the country. They're top seven, and I'd feel pretty good about the the SEC's ability to compete. Well, look at where the SEC has come in basketball over the last five years. I was going to say 10, but even in the last five years, look at where the conference of the SEC in basketball terms has come, right? For, For years and years and years, it was Kentucky and everybody else. Kentucky was the only team in the SEC that would ever really do anything. You'd have a team every now and then make a run in the tournament, make a little noise. Uh, Florida, of course, back in the day was was pretty good. They were winning some championships and stuff like that. And you would have a team uh, like, like a South Carolina that would make a Final Four run, stuff like that. But the conference of SEC basketball was a joke. I mean, it just was. And where you see it now is like you just talked about. You've got Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, five legitimate basketball teams and programs right now that not only make the NCAA tournament, are a threat to win the NCAA tournament, plus you've got schools like Florida, you've got schools like Mississippi State, you've got schools like Texas A&M that may not be in contention to win championships right now, but they still can make some noise in March. And I think that just shows where the SEC has made some of the biggest strides in college basketball as a conference than any other. And like you said, I would take the SEC's top seven or eight against most other conferences' top seven or eight, and I think they would fare pretty well. Look at how the SEC does in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. They own it. I'll tell you this. I think that it's very interesting that LSU is picked eighth. I'm I'm looking at the, the the projections now just because LSU had unprecedented turnover on that team from last year. Honestly, I I wouldn't expect them to finish high at all. I don't either. I was shocked they to see that also. Every single player that was committed to the program or was on campus either left for the NBA, went in the transfer portal or decommitted. I mean, Yoan Treore is at Auburn right now, or Treore is now at Auburn mm-hmm. because it, he was one of those guys that decommitted. Well, with all of the stuff going on with LSU basketball, with Will Wade, when all that went down, and they're still sort of in the in the in the cloud, if you will, of the NCAA, you expected that to happen, and they lost everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. like you just said, anybody that was anything on LSU's basketball roster or uh, recruit-wise, they're gone. And 
Not saying that LSU doesn't have any talent. I just don't think they're going to be all that good for the next few years until they get everything figured out and get past all of this. I think it's going to take a few years for LSU basketball to be anything again. And so I'm right there with you. I think them being picked to finish eighth is a little high. Uh, but looking at the the talent around this conference right now, I mean, Arkansas is Ar- scary. Arkansas has got as much freshman talent as we've seen in the SEC at any point. They've got more as they've got more freshman talent than probably anybody in the country. Well, I mean, I think you've got Duke. Duke's got one of those years this year that's maybe not the the Zion year where they had what four of the top seven and then like five mm-hmm. freshmen in the top 20 or something they they are close to that in terms of high school recruiting rankings coming into this year Arkansas is not far behind though I do find it interesting that Nick Smith Jr. the freshman that that everybody in the country wanted that Bruce Pearl wanted and lost out to Eric Musselman at Arkansas he was picked to finish first team SEC in the preseason pr- projections with guys like Oscar Sheway, who won SC Player of the Year last year, Colin Castleton, who was one of the best centers in the country last year, Severe Severe Wheeler, who's really really good, and Santiago Vescovi, who's really really good. Like those are all veteran guys who've been in this league and done it. And then Nick Smith Jr., a true freshman at Arkansas, that should tell you everything you need to know. And he's. He's one of like four freshmen that are kind of close to that level on this Arkansas team. Mm-hmm. That should tell you all you need to know about how talented this Arkansas team will be this year. And speaking of the guys that were voted first, second teams by the media, Auburn basketball did not have a single player on first or second team voted by the media. Obviously, these are their predictions on what they think is going to finish at the end of the year. Same thing they do for football. But Auburn basketball didn't have a single player voted first or second team in the preseason by the media. And what's interesting about I this... Feel like, I feel like that happens all the time. Auburn's it, proje- it Auburn does. exceeds its projection. Auburn may even be pred- pre- projected at the top sometimes. But they never get the votes that I feel like they deserve when it comes to all SEC first team and second team in preseason and in postseason. Which is what I was going to say is interesting because Bruce Pearl had comments a few weeks ago. He predicted this. He said, we probably won't have anybody in first or second team in the preseason. And you know what? He doesn't care. Bruce Pearl doesn't care. Auburn doesn't care because nobody, I promise you that Bruce Pearl is better at scouting talent and coaching up his talent than what the media is. And so I'm going to trust Bruce Pearl. I promise you two players on Auburn's team are, they definitely care and they definitely are going to use this as fuel going into the season. And that's kind of where I was going with that. Wendell Green and Katie Johnson because those two guys probably feel that they should get more love than than they've gotten and they're right and they're going to use this slight as fuel as the season approaches here in the next few weeks. I'm excited for it and I think that those guys maybe uh did get slighted a little bit, but I think you could you could make the argument of where maybe they're not to that level yet because of where what we saw from those guys late in the season last year and I love Wendell Green, I love KD Johnson. I think they're very good players, but I do think they have a lot to improve on. And I think if they fix the things that they didn't fix last year, if they if they get better 
this team's going to be really, really good. And I've uh, said it. I, I think that they are in significantly better physical shape. We know that. 100%. I mean, Wendell looks like a different human being than when he first got to Auburn. I mean, he's he's not the same guy that's going to be. And I wonder if if some of these ESPN broadcasts are going to update his picture for the starting lineups because he doesn't look the same as he does in those. Even at the end of last year, like he had some chubby cheeks going in the in the starting lineup graphic when he, he slimmed would start up a games. little bit. He is he looks like he's dropped five ten percent body fat since being at Auburn like, and we've seen other players do that in their time at Auburn and then KD is healthy now too we know he got hurt towards I guess the back half of the year and that's when you saw his shooting kind of fall off a cliff mm-hmm. he's healthy I expect him to get back to being a better shooter from outside I doubt you're going to see an 0 for 14 game this year at any point better hope not <laughs> I mean that that's bad <laughs> i mean that's that's Don't so bad <laughs> that is so bad i mean look we know we know coming into this basketball season for auburn and again we're talking about auburn basketball uh as the sec men's basketball media day is today up in birmingham we know coming into this basketball season that auburn their achilles heel unfortunately and as crazy as it sounds it's going to be shooting the basketball. And if you think that's a bad thing, it is, but it's not an uncommon thing. Look at the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA. They had their opening game last night. They shot horribly from three-point range. They're not good. (laughs) I agree. They're not good. Auburn is, and I'm making the comparison that a team that maybe struggles shooting the basketball can still win games. Now, the Lakers, they're not going to win games. I mean, Auburn wasn't a good shooting team last year outside of outside of Jabari exactly and I think found a way to be all the way up to number one in the country I agree and with a team that can't shoot the basketball you've got to find other ways to score and last year the only guy that can could consistently shoot was Jabari but yet he fell in love with that shot too much and I talked about how I wanted Jabari to learn how to put the ball on the floor and become a dynamic scorer and not fall in love with an 18-foot contested jumper. Now, he didn't do that. I think he will in the NBA, but that's what Auburn's going to have to do in basketball this year is understand there are timely shots, there are good shots, but Auburn's going to have to realize they're not a shooting team and maybe they become one, but they'll probably tell you their strength is not shooting. They're going to have to find other ways to score. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's going to be a little different aspect to this year's team. I think you'll have the ability to dump it into the post to Jani Broom and let him go to work. I expect that you're going to have to have some guys that kind of slash and get to the rim. You still will have some three-point shooting with Jalen Williams and Wendell Green and Katie Johnson and probably Chance Westry. But Hopefully Zep and Zep, Zep. I think Zep will shoot significantly more this year than he did last year, which is a good thing. And you've heard that he gets pushed in practice to shoot more and more, which I'm I'm happy for. And I, look, I called for it last year, and I think a lot of people called for Zep to score more and shoot the ball more because when he shoots with confidence, he's very good. And he knocked down some dagger threes last year. Uh, so we'll see if that is the case. Our show producer, Mackenzie, you've got something to comment on Auburn basketball. Welcome in. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, add in something. So I was looking at Auburn stats from uh, last season, and... Auburn's scoring, or hold on, let me rephrase that. So <laughs> if you split up Auburn's scoring by uh, each player last season, mm-hmm. Jabari Smith had over 43% of those points 
scored over the whole season. And I was looking at the assists, and mm-hmm. Wendell Green is leading in assist, well, was leading in assists. So mm-hmm. I think if you put Wendell in a, a playmaker role, he can turn those assists into those maybe some of those points that mm-hmm. Jabari, Jabari had, and he yeah. brought up uh, Zep too, I think. Mm-hmm. I think both of those you can... No, I agree. I think with with Wendell Green, we saw him get put in bad situations when yeah. he was uh, the, the primary ball handler bringing the ball up the floor, and teams teams figured out, just throw a double at him. As soon as he crosses half court, well, throw well, a double. I think he's definitely spent the offseason working on oh, his I quickness agree. and I ability agree. to beat that. I think you're, you're going to see some people in some roles that maybe we haven't seen them in before. Like maybe... Maybe they'll experiment with Zepp in some different spots and throw him in some positions on the court that maybe we haven't seen to this point in the year. And you're going to see it with his tenure. Yeah, and you're going to see that with guys like KD Johnson who are most likely going to be coming off the bench where he was a starter for the most of the year last year. And when he does come off the bench, we saw that in Israel a little bit, he plays really well coming Mm -hmm. off the bench. And I think... I think for Auburn, they're going to have, again, they're going to have to find ways to score without shooting, and they're going to have to put their guards in different situations to be successful because what they did near the end of the year last year, it wasn't working. And that's why you saw a really, really good Auburn team get bounced in the second round of the NCAA tournament. We've got more on this and a whole lot more on uh, basketball. We've got some football things to go over as well before we get to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 at 230. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'll be right back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Well, the, uh, the, the story that is going around college football right now is the video that has now gone viral of Alabama's one of Alabama's players after the Alabama-Tennessee game. We all know that, uh, of course, Tennessee hits the game-winning field goal. Rocky Top loses their minds. 100,000 people. As they should. As they should. 100,000 people rush the field, as we knew they would. But a video has now surfaced that Alabama wide receiver Jermaine Burton uh, basically smacks, hits, clocks, whatever you want to say, a woman Tennessee fan that was running on the field. And if you've seen the video, you know what we're talking about. If not, all it takes is a quick Google. You can find it pretty easily. Um, Basically, he's trying to walk off the field with his teammates as the fans are rushing the field like crazy. A woman jumps in front of him, and basically he just kind of rears back and and, kind of lets her have it. And the video is kind of fuzzy, right? It's not great angle, but... He clearly makes contact with this woman as she's rushing onto the field. And Nick Saban made comments today that they are getting more information, obviously haven't made a decision on what they are going to do with this young man. But the video clearly shows that he strikes her in some way up near the head. And so basically the question is, and then this is sort and this is our question of the day. We'd love to hear from you, 334 321 1390 what should Alabama do about this? Because it's not a good look. And is he in the, not saying he's in the right, but what do you do? I, I mean, what do you do with this situation? Look, I, there's a couple different videos that I think it's, this is a layered 
issue for sure because there's a few different videos out there, and I want to separate what these videos are. There's there's one where some doofus is running around with his phone. Yes, that's a different literally, one. Literally, yeah. he's he puts his phone up in Jermaine Burton's face and Jermaine Burton has a similar response and almost like swipes at the phone may have even hit the guy that one I'm uh, I'm fine with because the fans technically are trespassing on the field but the second video which she doesn't even run in front of him she realizes that she's going to cross paths with him and she tries to sidestep him just to get out of his way and then he hits her that's not okay that's there is a there is a line to be drawn here. I think that rush rushing the field is def this is why we talk about it being a potentially dangerous type deal. I mean, we all saw the video from from when Texas Tech rushed the field and that big old fat guy trucked uh Overshawn, mm-hmm. the n- number 0 for Texas. Like, that stuff's not okay, and that's dangerous for the players. This is why when a school and their fans rush the field, this is why the school gets charged $100,000 every time it happens, because the SEC is trying to prevent situations like this. And when fans rush the field, it's not potentially dangerous. It is dangerous. And we're not trying to sit here and say, get off my lawn, no fun in college football, because that's not what we're saying. I think rushing the field, it's cool. It's a very unique experience. I have done it. It's a lot of fun. But then situations like this happen, and this is where you can see, okay, maybe it's not the best idea. Now, you've got to think about the situation here, right? Alabama is on the road at Tennessee. Both fan bases hate each other. Both teams hate each other. The programs hate each other. And after a very long and stressful and intense game, Tennessee wins on a game-winning field goal. They've they beat Alabama for the first time in 15 years. The state of Tennessee is literally shaking and the fans, 100,000 fans are coming to the field instantly. Alabama's just trying to get off the field. And this is the case for any time a team rushes the field. The opposing team, they just want to get the hell out of there, if you're really just being honest, right? They just want to get out of the way and get to the locker room, get to the shower, and get on the bus and go home. And Jermaine Burton was trying to do that. And like you said, the lady was one of the 100,000 people rushing the field. She happened to be coming in contact with him. His emotions, I'm sure, are high. He is very upset. He's very stressed. I'm sure he's extremely mad. I'm not inexcusable. I agree. I'm not making an excuse for him, but I'm trying. You got to look at the situation. And then he rears back and he lets this lady have it. That's not okay. I, I don't care how mad you are. I don't care that you lost. I don't care what the situation is. I get they're not supposed to be down there. But you can't rear back and hit somebody, especially a woman. Like, you cannot do that. And so I expect that Nick Saban and Alabama, once they get enough information, which I think it's pretty clear at the information here, I would expect them to suspend the young man uh, however long they see fit. I don't, I'm not the one to make a decision like that. I don't know what the depth of the consequence was, but you can't do that. Uh, you just can't. He better not play. He better not play this this week against Mississippi State. If he does, then all this talk about discipline and whatever with the program is a load of crap, and it's and it's just it's bogus because it literally <laughs> it's we are talking about something that is. 
a hundred percent not okay hitting another person that has done nothing to you. It's totally unprovoked. You lost the game. I know emotions are high. I mean, look, we saw Devontae Adams get sued by somebody, and that one is a heck of a lot more excusable because in that one, I, th- I do think he's looking down, and the guy comes across him, and I think it was that there, there was an aspect of reaction there. You still can't do that. That was more of a reaction. This was emotion. This yes. was this was taking it out on somebody we've, else. And then, I mean, we've seen the video of what back whenever Tony Brown was at Alabama and mm-hmm. Auburn rushed the field, him punching people that were messing with him. Okay, yeah, like if somebody is trespassing on the field, which is what storming the field is, and then they are in your face, it's still not okay, but I can get that. This poor girl did nothing, nothing wrong at all. And she just happened to be the one that that received the emotional actions of the Alabama player. I hope he's suspended. I'm sure he feels bad. I hope he does. And if he doesn't, suspend him even longer. That's my opinion on it. We got to get Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the other side of this break on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika sports leader. Welcoming in our usual Wednesday afternoon guest, it's Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Jordan, uh, welcome in and uh, hope all is well with you after Georgia uh, dominates Auburn two weeks ago. They turn around and do the same thing to Vanderbilt. It was a 55-0 win for the Bulldogs over the Commodores last week. What did you see from Georgia? Yeah, definitely, man. I think it's a situation where pretty much everything went Georgia's way. I mean, the fact that they opened that game first uh, five drives, they scored four touchdowns. Obviously, defense pitches a shutout. I mean, I think it's a situation where everything went just about as well as Georgia could have expected, especially coming in with the bye week this week. I think that was a good way to end things, you know, they uh, pretty much avoided any potential injury. Uh, looked a little questionable there for a minute with Lab McConkey uh, dealing with an ankle, but it uh, turns out after the game they said that he could have come back in the game, nothing uh, to be worried about. So, yeah, you know, it was essentially the end of the first half of the season for Georgia. And, uh, you yeah, know, it wasn't exactly a perfect game, but he win any SEC game by pitching a shutout and scoring 55 points. Um, it's hard to really complain uh, about that final result. Jordan, how are Georgia fans feeling after the last six quarters of football, after what was a pretty shaky run for, what, about the previous ten quarters where they had struggled with uh, Kent State, I believe, and then they struggled with Missouri, and then the offense really sputtered against Auburn. But here over the last six, six quarters, they've really gotten going. How are Georgia fans feeling now? I think they're feeling pretty good, and I think that there was an understanding when you looked at sort of that sputtering and the missed opportunities. A lot of it was self-inflicted. You know, a lot of it was turnovers that you know gave the other team the ball and took away possessions for Georgia, especially early uh, in that uh, Kent State game, early in that Missouri game. You know, I think people understood that there was. Jordan, do we have you? Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, you kind of cut out on us a little bit. Could you restart there if you wouldn't mind? 
Yeah, sorry about that, Jacob. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was an opportunity there where those the Kent State game and the Missouri game as well, um, it was just situations where Georgia had self self-inflicted issues, you know, turning the ball over early. wasn't necessarily moments or, or opportunities where, you know, the opponent got the better of Georgia. Georgia just kind of got its own way. And, uh, you know, I think it was an understanding, too, you know, with Stetson Bennett and this crew, you know, playing without their top receiver, A.D. Mitchell, uh, I think it was a situation where people understood that uh, that wasn't exactly uh, what we would expect of Georgia for Georgia to continue to struggle. That was just a matter of time before they kind of righted the ship, and they were able to do that against Vanderbilt. You know, I thought they had a really clean game and uh, did a good job. Had a few issues, nearly had a fumble in the third quarter, but on the whole did a good job and, again, kind of ended the first half of the season on the high We've got Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us on the phone here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, in a game where Georgia wins 55-0, to they put up 579 total yards to Vanderbilt's 150. They have no turnovers on offense, and they pick up 30 first downs. I mean, what what do you like realistically take away from this sort of win for Georgia where they were 37-point favorites, 37-and-a-half if you want to get technical with it. They're 37-point favorites. They cover and they win 55-0. to zero. They dominate for four quarters. What do you realistically take away from this game for Georgia going into the bye week? Well, I think it kind of goes into what we were just talking about, that sort of those struggles that we'd seen against Kent State and Missouri weren't exactly the norm. I mean, that that wouldn't be something we should continue and expect to see. Uh, and it wasn't a situation where, you know, well, maybe Georgia isn't quite as good as everybody thought. You know, even going back to week one with the way they beat Oregon, I think it just sort of reaffirmed what we expected out of this team, that it, you know, would take care of inferior opponents, that the offense would be able to score points and do that consistently, and that the defense, even after losing all those, uh, you know, first-round picks, all those superstars, future superstars in the NFL, that they could continue to click. And I think that's what you saw on Saturday. And, you know, that was something Kirby Smart talked about after the game. I mean, he said, you know, that he's done this a few times this year, talking about that Georgia's got, you know, more talent. That Georgia was more talented than that Vanderbilt team. And, you know, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, I thought you saw that they maximized that and that they didn't let Vanderbilt, you know, there was never really a situation where you thought, okay, Vanderbilt's kind of hanging around. Again, you score four touchdowns on your first five drives especially against a team like Vanderbilt. That's got some playmakers, but not enough to kind of match that sort of ability to score. You know, you're going to be able to take care of business and put things away even, you know, by the time halftime rolls around. While, while Georgia fans are probably feeling better coming off that 55 nothing loss, kind of turning our attention to another game that took place with a big SEC East rival, Tennessee got the big upset over Alabama 52-49, what were your takeaways from that game watching Tennessee, and then how nervous are Georgia fans about this Tennessee team this year? Yeah, I mean, I thought Tennessee did a good job of making the most of their opportunities. You know, I, I thought really highly of Hendon Hooker coming into this season. He was my second-team All-SEC quarterback back in the summer, behind only Bryce Young, and I thought he lived up to it. You know, I thought they did a good job. More of anything, just pouncing on Alabama early, you know, getting up to, I think it was about a 21-7 lead. And putting the pressure on Alabama. You know, to Alabama's credit, they fought back and it led to a good four-quarter game. But to do that at home, I thought that was huge. For them to have the kind of success they had with Cedric Tillman still not available, I mean, uh, that's just very, very impressive. I don't think I could be more impressed with what they've done, what Josh Heifel's been able to build in just two years. 
And, you know, I, I think Tennessee, uh, when it comes to Tennessee, Georgia fans are probably a little bit nervous. And I think uh, they should be really, really happy that that game is in Sanford Stadium because, obviously, if that was up in Knoxville, um, it kind of creates a level of difficulty. But, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting with this Georgia team, uh, a lot of us have talked about that it still kind of feels like we're waiting to learn things about this team, even seven games into the season. And to me, one of the biggest question marks is the secondary because, for the most part, they really haven't been tested. Uh, rest assured, on November 5th, this secondary will be tested by Hendon Hooker and these receivers, especially if Cedric Tillman's back is only going to get harder. Um, you know, I want to see what the corners do. I want to see what Kamari Lassiter and, and Keely Ringo and what those guys are able to do matched up with those receivers. It's going to be a big test, and I think we're going to learn a lot, even going into next week against Florida. And uh, I think we'll get to see – what those guys are capable of, and then we'll get ready for that big game to see if they're able to slow down that offense. Well, Jordan, you bring up a good point how how a lot of people maybe aren't really talking about Georgia or they're waiting for the for the true Georgia team to, to start playing like we saw in week one and like we saw last year uh, where Georgia has kind of slowed down a little bit like we talked about against Kent State, uh, Missouri, first half against Auburn, but now they've got a couple of, of big wins under their belt. But you put it really well how maybe people are sleeping on Georgia a little bit, especially with the success of Tennessee right now. I think the biggest thing to me is that we're going to learn a lot about this Georgia team because of how this schedule has played out. And it's really a backloaded schedule. You look at coming off the bye week, you play Florida and Jacksonville, which even with Florida, you know, I think they're a multi-touchdown underdog in that game against Georgia. You just never know what to expect in Jacksonville. I've seen all kinds of underdogs on either side of that rivalry come out and play well down there and get a big upset win. Then you've got Tennessee, obviously, like we talked about. Then you go to Mississippi State. I know they just lost to Kentucky, but that's still a really good Mississippi State team. And, you know, back in 2020 when they played Mississippi State, Georgia had trouble with Mississippi State. I think that wound up being a touchdown game. Uh, so especially the fact that's in start, well, that's not going to be easy. Then you turn around the next week and go to Kentucky. I mean, it's, it's going to be a very a difficult stretch. You know, I think Georgia still has the capability of going 12-0. But it's not going to be easy. And these, uh, you know, especially I think the defense is going to get tested along the way. Um, I think we're going to see if uh, some of those strides, some of those games where they really stood out, um, if they're able to build off that, or if it was sort of a situation where they took advantage of playing inferior opponents and see if they you know, wind up struggling against some of these top teams that they got left on the schedule. With with Georgia on their bye week. How how do you expect Kirby and his staff to handle his team? What do you expect this Georgia team to focus on, to improve on, headed into that game against Florida next weekend? Not not this weekend, but the but the weekend after. I think the biggest thing is just shoring up the little things in their own games. You know, I think by the end of the week they'll kind of turn the attention to Florida, but I think this is going to be a week of a lot of uh, self reflection. You know, looking at film. Even looking at guys that maybe haven't played as much, you know, really studying what they've been able to do if, if other guys need to kind of get involved in various parts of the game. And then really, to me, as big as anything, is this is going to be a big week just to get guys healthier, at least healthier. Uh, Jalen Carter has missed several games at this point, defensive tackle. You know, a guy you could argue must be the best player on either side of the ball. Uh, <laughs> you got A.D. Mitchell, uh, who would be the number one receiver. He's been banged up for several weeks and very limited. Kendall Milton, one of the running backs. They've got you know, Smile Munden, one of the inside linebackers. I think this uh, really this bye week could not have come at a better time as far as just getting healthy. Um, so I think you got that as well as 
being able to kind of look at it, you know, within themselves, see things they need to correct. Uh, because, again, the, the margin for error is going to be super small in these next few games. And they're going to want to take advantage of the time they got uh, before they can really, you know, have to start focusing on these opponents that are coming up. We've got Jordan Hill of Docs 247 joining us here on On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. Looking at Georgia, they're 7-0 and this year, 4-0 and in conference play. Give me one good thing they've done up to this point in the season and one thing that uh, maybe they need, they need to fix a little bit before, like you're talking about, getting into the back end of their schedule. I think the biggest thing to me on offense is, you know, we mentioned some of the injuries and they've had other guys banged up along the way. It seems like they've had some more somebody different step up in various games, whether it's been Dominic Blaylock, who had his first touchdown since 2019 on Saturday, had Ladd McConkey step up and make big plays. Both the tight ends, Darnell Washington uh, and also Brock Bowers, they've made plays. Kenny McIntosh, especially early in the season, uh, but also Dejon Edwards has really come on strong. I think they've done a good job, especially with A.D. Mitchell unavailable, of having other guys step up and, and being able – to continue to get the job done, and even when things kind of look good, had guys that could make plays. And then to me, the biggest thing, and really my biggest key to the second half of the season is their pass rush. They only have seven sacks in seven games. I think that they've still done a decent job of affecting the opposing quarterbacks, but just haven't been able to, to really get them down and get those sacks. I think it's a situation where when you're playing guys like Will Levis and Hendon Hooker, um, uh, Anthony Richardson as well, these quarterbacks they got coming up, you've got to be able to get to them. And, and even if it's not sacks, they have to consistently affect those guys. If they can do that early, it can kind of knock those guys off rhythm. And that could wind up being the difference in winning games and losing. Jordan, SEC basketball media days are happening right now. Kind of going into year one under Mike White, they're not a lot expected out of Georgia. They're projected to come in 13th out of the 14 teams. What are the expectations for Georgia fans going into this season? I think on the whole that they're pretty low, but pretty realistic. You know, I think last year was a real disappointment. Uh, you know, Tom Crean's final year, they win six games, only one in the SEC. And I think the biggest thing is just kind of raising the bar. You know, seeing this team try to take a step forward. Um, you know, to me, what I think is reasonable is to see this team win, you know, 12, 13 overall uh, games, you know, including non-conference and conference, and, and just trying to build some kind of momentum toward the future. I think when Mike why it was hired, that there wasn't a situation where people expected this to be a quick turnaround. I think people understand the amount of work that this is going to take to kind of raise the floor for this Georgia program. And, you know, I think that they've done a good job of accumulating talent in the time that this staff has been on board. Uh, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think people just want to see steps in the right direction. You know, I don't think anyone expects this to be a tournament team this year, uh, but I think if they can – you know, again, maybe not quite hit 500 overall, but get steps closer in doing that. Uh, I think that people will be, um, you know, pleased with that and understanding that they uh, want to see more progress in the next few years. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us as he does every Wednesday here on On the Line. Man, we really do appreciate you and your time uh, coming on here every single week. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing with uh, Dogs 247. Definitely, yeah. At uh, Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter or at Dogs247 and uh, Dogs247.com. So, uh, you know, it's a bye week of football, but still a busy week. I'm actually in Atlanta traffic right now, coming back from Birmingham for media day. But uh, 
good stuff talking to Mike White and company and got some uh, stories out of that and still plenty of football stories as we get ready for the second half. Well, well, man, enjoy the bye week. We will talk to you next week as Georgia will be taking on Florida. Yeah, sounds great. Appreciate you guys. That is Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Again, joining us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Uh, He always brings great stuff, and we always like to have him on talking about the Georgia Bulldogs because, look, just like with Alabama, Auburn fans, you care about Georgia and want to know what's going on over in Athens. They've got a good team, and uh, they're about to get into the heavy part of their SEC East schedule, and their SEC West crossover is Mississippi State, which I think is really interesting this year as well. we got to get to our final break here in hour number 1334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us we'll wrap up the first hour on the other side of this break you are on the line on espn 1067 online at espnau.com or on the espn 1067 app Wrapping up our number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, as we uh, got a few more minutes here in this first hour, we're going to get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Ed, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, guys. I, I, I appreciate y'all taking my call. I, I just wanted to, uh, if I could, just have a couple minutes. If I understand Doug and uh, Amos, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and Bill, who comes on after y'all, and everybody else, and, and what we heard from Saban, and we heard from uh, Will Anderson, and blah, blah, blah. It, it was a lack of emotion coming into that game. Is that correct? For yeah, Alabama? For, every, for Alabama. everybody. That's what everybody has been saying for uh, Yes, yes. A lack of emotion. I, n- I don't really know if I buy that. Hey, Just... hey, 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 hold on now. Hold on now. I'm going to have to school you for a minute, buddy. That's all Doug Amos has been blaming it on. Will Anderson said that the anxiety and lack of emotion before the game. I mean, come on. I, I can't even talk with you if you ain't no school. It's, I mean, goodness. I had a point to make, but I can't talk with you. Wait, wait, what's what? what's your point? Like he's saying that he. he... All right. Okay. Well, Ed, well, that was Ed on. Well, to kind of address that, I guess. Well, well, first of all, Doug does a different show, and he he does a show before us. And I was just gonna kind of disagree with that. I don't think it's a lack of emotion for Alabama. I'm sure they were. Look, if anything, I think that's a bogus excuse by Will Anderson if he's saying that. I'm with you. The fact that that. In all of the years we've watched Nick Saban coach Alabama football, they've never not been ready for a game. And it's never been a lack of emotion. I guarantee they were ready to go. They were ready to go and to play Tennessee. I mean, Nick Saban had them ready to go, and they were bought in emotionally. I I feel like there's no way they weren't ready emotionally, mentally, physically for that football game. I I, I just don't buy that. I mean, it's it's two top six teams playing – in Knoxville I mean it doesn't get bigger than that it's one of your rivalry games I don't I do not believe that that it was a lack of emotion or or anxiety if Will Anderson is blaming it on that that's that's bogus to me and And that feels like just something that you're saying to make an excuse and if that's what Doug said that's fine and if that's what other people say that's fine I never said that I disagree And and I don't think that's that's really what this was. I think Tennessee just beat Alabama, and I think Alabama played 
pretty well. They did not play great. They had tons of penalties. They had uh, a lot of miscues, and Tennessee Alabama beat get, them. Or, Tennessee gave them an extra seven points and then still beat them. Uh, yeah, I think Tennessee just played a better football game, and I think it was a it was a heavyweight fight. It was in Knoxville. It was a fantastic football game, and at the end of the day. Tennessee won, and I think if you were to play that game again in Tuscaloosa, you know what? Alabama may win that football game if they yeah. played it in Tuscaloosa. It was a three-point ball game. I don't think emotions or, or Alabama not having any emotions going into that was a factor. I think Alabama was ready to play. I mean, I think they've got some issues they got to work out, but I think they're there ready are, to go. There are, yeah, there are flaws to this Alabama team, and specifically in that secondary. And Tennessee was the was the team that is capable of of pulling that upset they're capable of attacking that weakness and Mm -hmm. that's what we saw play out and it really um I think it's a credit to to this Tennessee team and just how good they are yeah I again I think Tennessee just straight up beat Alabama and I think both teams were ready to play both teams are capable of winning that football game and Tennessee just happened to be the one to do it. Alabama not having emotions, I, I don't buy that. But look, we got to get to the break. Hour number one officially in the books. We got a whole lot more coming up in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway right here on ESPN 106.7. Well, if you missed any of hour number one, it was a good one. I highly recommend you go and find the podcast. Uh, You can search on the line wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center, and you can find it all right there. You can find it commercial-free right after the show today, so be sure you go and do that if you missed the first hour. Uh, We talked some some uh, SEC in, in Auburn basketball because SEC men's basketball media days is going on right now in Birmingham. Bruce Pearl uh, and the players have been talking over the last hour or so. Uh, so we talked about that. We also spoke with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, got the updates going on with Georgia football as they are going into their bye week before they play Florida next week. Uh, got his thoughts on Tennessee as well because they are now a legitimate threat uh, to, to beat Georgia in the SEC East. So we have, again, Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 seven we talked to him in that first hour as well uh, we've got a lot of Auburn talk in this second hour we'd love for you to call in and be a part of the show 334-321-1390 and we're going to start hour number two by going to the phone lines Ed you're back on the line man hey guys uh, all right you won't take my advice or my opinion on anything that's cool 
you won't take Will Anderson's take on anything. Who 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 would at Bama? Who who would you take there if they said there was a lack of emotion? Whose advice would you take? Nick Saban's. You freaking dummies! He said it. Nick Saban said he could see it in the tunnel before the games. You rascals need to learn how to read. All right. Well, look, I, I think I, I, it's our opinion, though. I mean, and I think watching the no, game. That's not your opinion. No, 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 that's not your That's your opinion. No, you're talking. You don't have an opinion. You weren't in that tunnel. You weren't playing in that game. Were you, Ed? The player said what? Nick Saban said it. All right, buddy. Well, look, I watched the game. I watched the game just like you did, though. You know, we watched the game. We all watched the same game. Listen, listen, we're talking about what you just told me and what you're trying to espouse, that there was no lack of it. Nick Saban is saying it. You freaking dummies. Well, look, Ed, look, look, we appreciate you calling back. And look, Nick Saban may have said it, and there may have been to his to Nick Saban's standard of Alabama, sure, maybe, but I also think that's a I way just, of I saying... I have a hard time believing that an Alabama team did not show up ready to play a top six Exactly. Matchup. That's what I'm saying. In a rivalry and, game on the road in front of 105,000 people, especially... Henry Toho played for Tennessee. I have a hard time believing that he had no emotion going into that game. And not once. Watching that football game, did I ever look at Alabama and say, wow, they were not emotionally ready for this game? Sure. Did Nick Saban say that? I'm sure he did. And did Nick Saban maybe see a lack of emotion to his standard and what he would like to see? Yeah, maybe. But watching the game where Alabama puts up 49 points against a top-five Tennessee team on the road in Knoxville – you can't tell me they didn't have any emotion. I saw emotion from Bryce Young coming off an of injury and having a good game. I saw emotion from a defense where even when they did give up 52 points, they still made big plays and they celebrated. I saw an Alabama team that celebrated on when they were still and when they were in the driver's seat and when they forced a turnover and got a fumble recovery for a touchdown. I saw emotions there. And so, look, again, to kind of Ed's point, did they were they emotionless to Nick Saban standards? Sure, maybe. And if that's what Nick Saban believes and that's what he needs to tell himself because they got beat by a good Tennessee team, that's fine. But you can't tell me that Alabama lost because they didn't have any emotions going into the football game. I, I just won't even if Nick Saban does even if Saban told me that to my face, I'm not gonna believe it. Alabama lost because they got beat. Tennessee was the better team on Saturday. Tennessee outplayed them. They beat them. They had less penalties. Alabama played a worse football game than Tennessee did, and that's why they lost. You can't tell me that Alabama's emotionless team got beat, and that's why. I just, I'm not going to believe that, and if you want to, that's totally fine, but, but to call in and, and tell us that, that we're wrong and we don't have opinions because Nick Saban said it, that's just not... That's just not correct. I'm just going to be honest with you. But as we get into the start of hour number two, I want to talk some Auburn football because they're going into the bye week this week. Of course, uh, they're losing three straight football games and they're going into the bye week. Uh, They've got a tough stretch to end the season. And so kind of the topic that I want to discuss here, 334-321-1390, you can get in on the conversation as well. How does Auburn have a successful bye week? I think that is a legitimate question with everything going on with Brian Harson still being the head coach how does Auburn have a successful bye week this week well I think you you've got to 
work on the fact that your your offensive line continue to make strides. Jeremiah Wright continue to get him reps. First off, heal up and rest up that defense because that defense has been worked extremely hard here over the last few weeks, and you can see the signs of fatigue starting to set in. And then I guess you're just trying to figure out you're self-scouting yourself and figuring out what what can we do on offense to make Robbie Ashford as comfortable as possible to put him in his, the best position to succeed? What can we do on, on that side of the ball? And then on defense, you got to stop the run. And you got to figure out why you're having so many run misfits. You got to figure out why you're getting pushed around up front. You got to get Honestly, you need to take this week to figure out a way to get more bodies on the out there playable on the D-line and have more than just five guys rotating through taking 89 snaps because that's, I mean, that's not sustainable for the rest of this year. If Auburn rolls five guys out there against Arkansas and A&M and Mississippi State and Alabama and even Western Kentucky, Auburn's going to lose four, maybe all of those games. I have two different answers here talking about uh, how does Auburn have a successful bye week this week under normal circumstances where the head coach is not on his way out the door and the program is not falling into shambles. A successful bye week for me is to go out and recruit. Go out, get on the trail a little bit, go to some high schools, go to some high school games, send all your assistants out, right? Rest up your team a little bit, get out on the recruiting trail. Well, what we've learned under Brian Harson and this head co- and this coaching staff, that's probably not what's going to happen. I've, I've read some stuff where some of the assistants have been out and on the trail and they're trying to get to some games this week and weekend. Uh, but from what we've learned, I'm not really going to buy that because we were told that Brian Harson was recruiting and it turns out he has not been. So under normal circumstances, that would be a successful bye week. But for this current Auburn team and this current Auburn program, A successful bye week for me is to still rest up like you talked about, especially the defense, who has been put through uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it kind of showed against Ole Miss. And for me, a successful bye week is Auburn figuring out a new game plan. Because through these first seven games, you're three and four, you're on a three-game losing streak, and your personnel and game plan is not working. For me, a successful bye week for Auburn is to find guys who give you the best chance to win. And you know what? If it's not the go-to guys, if it's not the juniors and seniors, maybe it is those sophomore and freshmen, give them a chance and figure out what group of guys on the field give you the best chance to win. Because nothing against the guys that are playing for Auburn right now, but the guys that are running out there, the, the group of 11 that run out on offense and the group of 11 that run out on defense, it's not working right now. And your game plan around those groups of 11 is not working either. And so you've got to look back and, and, and sit back and, and really just look at yourself and say, okay, something's got to change, right? You're three and four, three game losing streak. We've tried this, we've tried this, and we've tried this, and it's not working. And the few times that we've brought in different players to play that position, good things have happened. And so Auburn this week and next week as they prepare, as they get into the back end of their SEC schedule, you've got to shake things up a little bit and try to get different guys out there, different formations out there, and switch it up. Because through seven games, what you've been doing isn't working. Yeah, I think you've... 
And that's part of that self-scout process, trying to figure out, okay, what are what are your weaknesses? How do you hide those weaknesses? How do you strengthen those weaknesses? What do you do well, and how do you play into that? How do you how do you maybe break tendencies? Those types of things. And I honestly, in the run game, I thought Auburn did a decent job of of kind of changing it up this past week at at Ole Miss, and that's why you saw a decent amount of success. And then obviously you saw a shakeup on the offensive line and started to see some push. And it was rare it was an impressive game from from the the ability to run the football. First time we've seen that since what? The Mercer game? If that. I mean, I mean yeah. It's, I am encouraged by that, but I also I have concerns about how good is that Ole Miss defense because Look, statistically, they were great coming in. Awesome. They had played a bunch of bad teams and a Kentucky team that shot themselves in the foot all game long. So that we will learn a lot in the next few weeks about what that Ole Miss game really was for Auburn. But if you're Auburn, uh, you know, you, and I'm not saying that they will, but you can't look at your offensive success against Ole Miss and say, well, that just happened to be a bad defense, guys. Probably not going to happen again. No, you got to look at your offensive performance and say, okay, we did some things well. Yes. How can we, how can we, how can we build on that, right? How can we build on Tank Bigsby having a big game? How can we build on the offensive line who got shifted around a little bit, having a little bit of success? And I'm, but I'm not awesome. I am also not going to sit here and say that this is sustained improvement until until I see it for more than one game. You wouldn't call this a turning I, point, right? Now I'm going to treat this as a blip until Auburn shows it. Next week, when they go, when when they play Arkansas, when Arkansas comes to town, if they do show it again, then then I'll start to buy into. Okay, they have figured something out. But but right now, I just I don't feel like I know enough about that Ole Miss team. And we've seen the body of work paints a bad, bad, bad picture for Auburn's offense significantly more than it paints a good one. I mean, you've had two games that you can really consider good offensive performances and you've had five and one of those is against Mercer and then you've had five that are bad I mean I want to see a little more sustained success before I'm ready to just say all right check the box this offense is showing significant signs of improvement and Auburn has a chance to do that, right? When you look at the schedule, the upcoming schedule for Auburn after the bye week, they've got a chance to do that, right? They have Arkansas, whose defense has not been good. You have Mississippi State, whose defense has been average, in my opinion. They've they've done some good things, but also I think their defense, I mean, they're not a top five defense in the conference, I wouldn't say. And so those two games alone, I think you have a chance. I mean, you look at you look at the the Mississippi State defense, they haven't allowed a ton of points. But they've also played some bad offenses. They gave up 31 to LSU in a loss. Uh, they held A&M to 24. They held Arkansas to 17. And they gave up 27 to Kentucky. So not a bad defense by any means. But for Auburn, you've got some games coming up where the offense has a chance to, if they want to make a turning point and prove to us, prove to the fans that the offense is actually improving and not just playing bad defenses. Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, and Western Kentucky, you've got four games coming up where you have a chance to prove yourself on offense. 
Yeah, and and honestly, this performance that you had on the offensive side of the ball should inspire some confidence against Ole Miss. And then you, your next game is against the worst defense in the conference in in Arkansas, a team that has given up plenty of points to te- a lot of teams that they've played already this year. So can you take that success against Arkansas or Ole Miss and bring it to the Arkansas game? And then from there, the defenses get tougher because you're going to see Mississippi State that's got a better defense, A&M that's got a better defense, and then, of course, Alabama. I'm not going to – I mean, I know Western Kentucky can score. I don't know anything about that defense yet. I haven't really looked into it. But I think that they're – is definitely hope that the offense can continue to have success against Arkansas, but I need to see it before I'm a hundred percent hook line sinker ready to buy in with it. Which goes back to my point talking about what Auburn needs to do to have a successful bye week. Build on your offensive success against Ole Miss because again, you scored thirty four points in an SEC game. In my book, that's plenty. You should win more times than not when you score 34 points in a conference game if your defense does their job. And for the first time this season, the defense didn't. But to get back to, before we get to break, talking about what Auburn needs to do to have a successful bye week, build on that offensive performance against Ole Miss. Look at what you did correctly, build on that, and find the things that you didn't do correctly and try to fix them. Now, the problem is we haven't really seen that this year from Brian Harson and his coaching staff. And I think what goes involved and what's involved with that is getting other guys involved in the offense, right? You know, Tank Bigsby is going to do his thing if you give him a chance to do so. But maybe changing out some of those receivers, maybe changing out some of the packages, maybe changing some of the formations that you're lining up in and running and maybe try to fix this thing where you're still trying to fight for bowl eligibility. You've got tough games, but that's what Auburn needs to do in the bye week build on the offensive performance, rest up the defense, and try to figure this thing out and, and get this ship going in the right direction. Yeah. Because one game against Ole Miss where you lost offensively, you looked good, but you lost. If you come out next week against Arkansas and you only put up 10 points, well, then you're right back where you started. And then we'll be asking ourselves, well, what in the world did Auburn do during the bye week? It's the same question we ask ourselves every week. Well, what did Auburn do at halftime? Absolutely nothing. It better not be the story coming out of the bye week. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that you definitely saw signs of life in the second half from the offense last week that we haven't seen in a while, and I mean, you haven't seen since what Mississippi State the year before. Um, so I am hopeful that something was figured out on that aspect. But if the defense plays like it did against Ole Miss again, Auburn's not going to win another game this year. No, I, even, I agree even, with that. Even Western Kentucky. Because the defense can't get run on like that, and they can't can't get run ragged like they did. I mean, 450 yards. That's that's all you need to say when 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 somebody wants to talk about can this Auburn team win more games? Not if they allow 450 yards on the ground. Well, it's like we've talked about. The defense is good enough to keep Auburn in games, but if they don't, if they give up 48 points. They're not really keeping Auburn in games. We got to get to our first break here in hour number two, three, three, four, three, two, one, thirteen, ninety. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this and anything else going on in the world of sports. Again, three, three, four, three, two, one, thirteen, ninety. More of the Wednesday edition of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. 
Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. In case you missed it at hour number one, question of the day here on Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. And the conversation right now around the SEC coming out of this weekend's games is uh, the video that has surfaced of the Alabama wide receiver uh taking a, a shot hitting smacking I don't know what term you want to use here uh but he hit her striking a young woman on the t- after the Tennessee game of course Tennessee rushes the field Alabama's trying to leave the field and a young woman uh, crosses in front of Jermaine Burton the wide receiver for Alabama and a video has surfaced of him uh smacking this woman in the head uh I don't know side of the head face videos kind of you know blurry whatever and again if you haven't seen the video uh you can look it up you can find it pretty easy uh, on online but look the the question is what should Alabama do with this wide receiver and are you surprised to see this from an Alabama a Nick Saban coached player after a big game like this I mean yeah yeah absolutely because I mean we talk about Alabama teams they are very disciplined typically this year's team, it's interesting because they are, what, the most penalized team Nick Saban's ever had? So far, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there seems to be some cracks in the, in the discipline of this team. You see that with this playing out with Jermaine Burton. You also see with the acknowledgement that they were tight going into a road game. That's definitely points to something we're not used to from Alabama. Um but I mean, they I mean it's still a very, very talented Alabama team, and you're playing in a rivalry game. You lose, and kind of coming off the field, you let your uh, emotions get the best of you, and you do something really, really dumb that legitimately we should be talking about whether Jermaine Burton plays again this year. In my mind, I, I agree. I mean, at, I, all. I, at all, I agree. I think that. Obviously, emotions were high after a massive, massive game like this where Tennessee wins on a field goal, right? A game-winning field goal. 100,000 fans are rushing down the steps of Neyland Stadium to get onto the field. And as a losing team like this, you see it in, in football, you see it in basketball, right? Fans storming the floor, storming the field. And I always feel for the losing team because that's got to be a really crappy feeling, right? To be that losing team that loses on a buzzer beater or a, a, or a, a, a game-winning field goal that you just lost on and the fans are just rushing all around you and they're all up on you and all in your face and calling you, I'm sure, all kinds of names and all you're trying to do is get to the locker room, right? But never in my mind did I would have I ever thought, you know, that player has the right to hit whoever he wants to hit and let out his emotions on the fans, that's not okay. And the fact that he hit a woman is even worse, right? This is not okay for anybody to do. And again, I get that emotions are high. I get that you're probably really upset that you just lost this football game. And again, all you're trying to do is get to the locker room and the fans should not be on the field in your mind. I get that. But being so upset about it that you just decide to take it out on a woman that's just trying to enjoy the moment with the other 100,000 other people of Tennessee fans, and you decide to hit this woman that's running onto the field, that's not okay. It, and it looks totally unprovoked. And I'm sure we're going to find out more details. I know 
Saban put out a statement. Alabama put out a statement saying they were trying to gather more information. They are aware of the video and the situation. But barring something that that is just completely not evident on the video, Jermaine Burton absolutely should not play this weekend. And legitimately, we should we should be talking about whether he plays again again this year. And I don't know what details could come out of this that we don't know or haven't seen that would make this okay. That's the that's the problem that I have is what would what details would come out of this where we'd say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That I I would have done the same thing. No, that's no. There's no situation where this is okay. I don't care. And, and we've seen this in the past, right? At, at other big sporting events where a fan will come in contact with a player and and strike them or spit on them or call them names or whatever it may be, right? But even in that situation, the 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 action is to not rear back and hit this woman. But according to the video, right? And again, we're still learning more details about this from what it looked like. She she's, was just rushing the field like she, everybody she else. She was on the field with everybody else, and it looks like she's trying to literally avoid him and get out of his way so he can go to the locker room. And you know what? The 20 or 50 people that came in contact with him before he did this, I'm sure he got bumped. I'm sure he got well, hit. He had, he had the, the idiot put his phone yeah. er, their phone in his face. Right. He swiped at, swiped at that phone, which that one – if you're going to get in the face of the player like that, I don't have as much of an issue with. Right. I think that there's probably, I don't know, there may be some sort of discussion that Saban would have liked to have had if that was the incident that we're talking about, about kind of cooler heads and whatever. But when you hit somebody unprovoked, especially somebody that's literally looks like they're doing nothing and is just trying to avoid you and, and let you pass that's that's where a line needs to be drawn I agree and I think kind of like you were talking about if this was the situation where the other video that you're talking about where the guy comes up and gets all up in Burton's face and the video showed him if Burton had just shoved the guy off of him type sort of like we saw with Devontae Adams where that was a little bit different but if that was the situation then sure you maybe be able to make the argument well the guy shouldn't have been all up in his face you know he was just trying to get out Burton was trying to get out of the way blah 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 but this is not that this from what again from what we've seen this video shows a Tennessee fan a woman rushing the field with a hundred thousand other people and Burton loses his cool and he he rears back in and strikes this woman as she's running by him he should be suspended he should not be playing this week and until more details come out in my opinion he shouldn't be playing at all because there's no excuse for this I don't care what details come out of it We've got 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We're going to talk Auburn football head coaching uh, prospects when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here in hour number two of the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, here with you for the next 30 minutes on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. 
Uh, just a reminder of all of the things we've got going on live events-wise here on ESPN 106.7. Uh, it is a jam-packed week and weekend here on the station. Uh, tonight, we've got Yankees at Astros Game 1 of the ALCS, the American League Championship Series and the MLB postseason. Uh, our coverage of that rolls on. So we have Game 1 between Yankees and Astros. That'll be tonight at 6.30 uh, because at 6 o'clock, we have the Auburn High School football report uh, with Scott Bagwell. That'll be at 6. And then right at 6.30, right as the game is starting, uh, Yankees and Astros Game 1 of the ALCS. Tomorrow, it'll be Game 2 of the Yankees-Astros ALCS. That'll be at 6 o'clock. And then, uh, let's see, Friday, we'll have Padres at Phillies, uh, Game 2 of that. Of course, uh, Game 1 was last night, and that was a fantastic game. Phillies win 2-0, so we'll have uh, Padres-Phillies on Friday. We will have uh, Saturday, we've got, or that may be Game 3. That may actually be Game 3 on Friday. I believe that, because today is Wednesday. That should be Game 3 on Friday, but then Saturday we'll have the uh, the biggest SEC college football game of the week. We'll have Ole Miss at LSU. That'll be at 2 o'clock here on ESPN 106.7. Saturday night, we'll have Padres and Phillies again at 6 o'clock. Then on Sunday, Padres and Phillies at 1, and then Astros at the Yankees at 5.30 for Sunday Night Baseball. So we have a ton of live events coming up this week. Look, we call ourselves the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader, and we mean it. Those are the live events coming up. Tons of MLB postseason, uh, college football on Saturday as well. And just sort of reminding you as well, looking ahead to Friday, uh, we've got two high school football games over on Wings 94.3, our sister station. Uh, Auburn High is at Prattville on the Auburn High School Sports Network at 6.30 with Scott Bagwell, Rob Pate, and Jack Hutton. That will be broadcast time at 6.30, kickoff at 7 on Wings 94.3. And then over on AU100, that's 100.3. Lee Scott is at home against Fort Dale. That is Carter and I's gig. Uh, We will be calling Lee Scott versus Fort Dale at home. Broadcast time, 6.30 kickoff at 7 on the Lee Scott Sports Network on AU100. Again, that's 100.3. So tons of sports stuff coming up over the next week or so around our stations here at Auburn Network. But as we've got 30 minutes left here in hour number two, phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-13. As Auburn gets into the bye week, what you got something? I was going to say people can call in and call you a dummy. They can if they want to. That's it's it's an open line. They're more than welcome to. And as we get into Auburn's bye week, where we thought a couple of weeks ago we thought that. Auburn would not have a head coach as of right now. We thought that Brian Harson would be out. We thought he would be fired. And we thought that Auburn would be in the midst of hiring an athletic director and trying to hire a new head coach. But as of right now, Auburn still has Brian Harson as their head coach. Now, reports are saying mm-hmm. that he will be the coach through November. Then they will end up making the move, and I think that that is probably what will happen. Brian Harson will not be the head coach here next year at Auburn. No, I think that is, that is a very uh, safe statement to make. But when Auburn does make that move and Auburn does decide to go and get a new head coach, what type of head coach do they need to be successful here at Auburn? Uh, We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But uh, before we do, we are going to get to the phone line. So we will do that. 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, guys. How are y'all? We're doing all right, man. What you got? How are you? Hey, uh, I missed why we're calling you a dummy. I'm not close <laughs> to it, but... Did you but, want to get out on the action, Shane? Well, 
why are why are, why are you a dummy? Uh, we had a caller who was talking about the, we were talking about Alabama Tennessee and uh, we had a caller who uh, was talking about Alabama not having emotions against Tennessee and Carter and I weren't really agreeing with that and he was talking about Saban's well, I, I comments don't, I don't buy it right I don't buy it and, I, and, and that that's and he was addressing I feel the like comments that's a bogus excuse. he was addressing the comments that Saban made where he said his Alabama team was tight and uh supposedly emotionless and that's why they lost against Tennessee now I don't think they were emotionless against Tennessee so that's that's sort of where all that got started okay I I don't know if the if the caller was was uh trying to defend anybody or or not but to to me like there's there's every excuse in the book or why we're talking about this one team when uh, losing to a, a number three team in the country mm-hmm. by three points at the very end of the game. Why can't it just be these are two good games, they're two two good teams, and this team won. Good job for this team instead of Agreed. blame the rest. Which is exactly which is exactly what I said, Chad. I said, look, Tennessee won because Tennessee played the better game. Like like it had nothing to do with Alabama uh, not being prepared. Now they did not play discipline. Of course, they had a ton of penalties and stuff. But Tennessee Alabama, just played a better game. Alabama very well could win a rematch if it does happen. But but I thought Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee jumped on them, and Tennessee was the better team at the beginning of the game, and they were the better team at the end of the game. Yeah, and and you know. Maybe this is just saying, just showing that that they are mortal, and they are affected by by uh, loud, you know, the loud stadiums like like the cadence that may, that the maybe that the cadence that the, the the quarterback was throwing was was off a little bit because of the the the, the, the atmosphere, and that's props to Tennessee and mm-hmm. as a whole, you know, the, the environment that they that they created. Right. It's, it's, you shouldn't shouldn't take away from that. You shouldn't take. I mean, like these guys lose once a year, and it's, and <laughs> they throw every excuse that you can out. Exactly. Why that one loss? And it's never a blowout. It's never like you know, devastating. It's like they lost at the last minute, and and. And, and they still go to the championship game. You know right, I mean? right. Like, well, they lost on a game-winning field goal. They still control their own destiny. And Shane, I said, if this game was played next week in Tuscaloosa, Alabama would probably win. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. So, and, that's, like, and that was the, see, yeah. Don't you see how amazing it is that, that, that this, this is not just this, this show. Like, all of Sports Talk Radio is talking about like the, the the big thing is how Alabama is crumbling and and uh, Nick Saban is 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 washed up now and it is just crazy how how this one little law well, Tennessee just demolished demolished them mentally it looks like they're like they have just destroyed their mentality like all of all of Alabama fans and 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 it's great. Yeah, I mean, I I I can't recall a time that we've seen this much this much of a meltdown from the fan base to this extent, and and the fact that we've got Saban and Will Anderson talking about how tight the team was. I mean, for 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 the whole tenure of Nick Saban, it feels like Alabama's been that team that never gets tight, and they're always ready for, for for the moment, and then finally. They get beat in the spot, and they're and they're somewhat they, un, they, they are undisciplined this year with all the penalties. 
it feels like this is a a very susceptible Alabama team, and maybe maybe they're starting to become a few cracks in the Nick Saban dynasty over there. It just it seems like a cop out, though, and and uh, to to just blame it on these things. We're tight and, and this and that. Maybe yeah, they they are, but but you could also say that we got beat. We just got beat, right? And, and then I would I would have so much more respect for that team. Yeah, that we we played our butts off and we were in under this one, but we just got beat. Exactly, but and that, that, that that's, that's kind of the better. route I wanted them to go. And, and Shane, hey man, we appreciate the call. We got to get to another one. Uh, that was Shane joining us on the line. We'll head back to the phone lines three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Tie the tiger on the line. Welcome in. What's going on, guys? Um, just to, I mean, just touch on what y'all are talking about right there. I mean, you know, refs and home field advantage. I mean, that's just part of the college football. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of that, sports, man. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, you just, you know, and I'll be honest with you. You know, let's talk. You don't talk about refs, okay? The Braves, dude. That strike zone for the Phillies on Game Four was amazing. Preach it, fair. Preach it. Dansby got got rung up on what a, a sinker that was six inches oh out of the bottom God. of the zone. <laughs> I mean, I cannot. I'm no Dansby, Riley, and Harris all took one and just looked and was mm-hmm. like, they couldn't what believe are it, man. Out? I mean, and then and then our pitcher goes out there and throws the first. I can't remember what inning. But he throws, and it was closer than most of theirs, and he calls both of them balls back-to-back. Like, I mean, the next inning. I I just, you know, but that's part of sports. You didn't hear Mm -hmm. me calling in on Monday talking about the refs. We didn't hit. We didn't do what we supposed to do. Yeah. You know, the Braves got beat. And so I'll leave that at that. Um, well, you hey, and then when you talk about that Alabama-Tennessee game that all the Alabama fans are complaining about the refs, those refs handed Alabama a touchdown there at late in the game. There was a P.I. call in the end zone on what would have been a third and goal and on an incomplete pass that would have forced a field goal. And it was literally everybody just like lost their balance and fell. Nobody actually touched each other. And they gave them a first down. They ended up scoring a touchdown and cutting that game closer. I mean, it goes both ways, especially in college football. Yeah, it does. And, I mean, you know, other than game four and the Atlanta in the field. <laughs> I don't care what nobody said. Uh, but what do you guys think about this this uh, Burton hitting this lady? Have y'all seen the video yet? Yeah, oh, yeah. We've been, we've been talking about it a little bit. I'm not sure how much you've caught on today's show, but that was the question of the day today was what, what does Alabama do with this situation? And we talked about how – I don't care what other detail, because Nick Saban made the statement, you know, they're, they're obviously, before he makes a legitimate comment, they're going to find more details. And I said, I don't care what other details come out of this. I don't care if there's another video of her tackling the dude to the ground and then hopping up and then he smacks her. I don't care if that were to come out. There is no room for this action, none whatsoever. I, I think he, he, he better not play this weekend. I think there's a legitimate case to be made he should not play again this year. Dude, that's, I mean, now that's what you get with the fans on the field, but I, I mean, she don't look like she did anything. To She's trying to avoid him. him. I mean, yeah, I think that's what, and, and, and I think maybe even he maybe was trying to like put, like saw her coming and was pushing her away, but he, I mean, he hit her dead off in the face. But the bad thing there is, and I just saw it surface. There's another video on TikTok with a guy filming, mm-hmm. and he walks up to Burton to get his kind of facial expressions, and Burton pie faces his phone out of his hand 
And so now, I mean, now you, I mean, again, this guy was this guy was salty coming off the field. Oh so. yeah, well for sure. That, that, know, but, that other video, that's a little more understandable. If you're going to go get in the losing player's face, I mean, right? And, and, and it looks like, as, as far as where I can tell, in that video where the field that happened right before the woman. Yes, mm-hmm. you know what yes. I mean. So he that might have provoked him a little bit more. Exactly. But either way, like you said, it don't matter what the story is at all. Like they know. Yeah, like, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what we talked about was, you know, he probably burdened the wide receiver for Alabama. He probably got bumped in and called names about 50 times before he struck the woman, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it, I don't care. I, that There's no room for it. There's no excuse for it. I know you're upset you lost the game, and that goes back to talking about maybe a Nick Saban team that is not as disciplined as we've seen in the past, and maybe you could say, like Carter was talking about, some cracks in the foundation. Now, with that... The same thing I said about Tennessee being good in football, I'm going to say right here. Until I see Alabama and Nick Saban start to slip up and lose consistently, I'm not going to believe it. Until I see it, I won't believe it. But this is just another example of of Alabama being undisciplined. We'll find out how disciplined they are when, 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 when I mean, when Nick Saban lets them play next week. I mean, if he needs them to play because he needs to win, we'll. You know, I mean, a lot of people do that. Auburn's done that before. Uh, every uh, team has done it at gonna, some point. You're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sit and throw stones in a, in a glass house with Auburn football. But, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing I want to talk about, guys, real quick, uh, you know, obviously let's get excited about some Auburn uh, Auburn basketball preseason. Mm-hmm. Number 15, I saw Bruce's comment um, the other day, you know, stating basically, hey, if you want me to put a starting five out there, I will. But, I mean – I only have one guy right now that's guaranteed a starter. Um, and then uh, I saw the article where he said that. The guy said last week he said it was two. So yep. he, he's come down from two guarantees to one. Who would y'all name as the number one guaranteed guy to start? I think it's Zeb Jasper. Zeb started all last year, and Zeb can be used as almost like a – Swiss Army knife. He can play several different positions, and when you give that level of effort on the defensive side, Bruce is going to find somewhere to put you. And then he, we know he shoots well. I mean, Bruce has been begging him to shoot more. I think yeah. Zepp Jasper is your guaranteed starter. I'd probably put Wendell Green on there too. Now, I, think, I, was, I think both of them are going yeah. to start for sure. I was going to say Wendell was my. And then answer. I think it's probably a free for all at that point, and I don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing. I just think that you've got a lot of talent and some some depth off fighting for roles right now. What's the transfer's name? Boone or Bone? Janai Broom. 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 That's in you sleeping. Yep, Janai Broom. Yeah. Hey. I think he's a wild card, guys. I think he's going to be a heck of a player in the Agreed. SEC. I do, too. Last I think, thing, yep. right before I leave, Arkansas, were they number 10? Wow, that was low, guys. I don't know what y'all think about that. I think they're going to be they're going to be like us last year and just top one throughout the country for, for, the, for the rest of the season. I'm with That's going to be the team to beat in the SEC, guys. I'm Hang with up, you. Listen, more damn no doubt about it. We appreciate the call. That's Ty the Tiger joining us here on On the Line. We're, we're talking about Arkansas real quick, and we'll address some more Auburn basketball as we wrap up the show on the other side. Arkansas, I think, is going to be very good. But I think it's going to take them some time. You're going to see them struggle a little bit in non-con play just because Maybe. there is so much talent and there's a lot of young guys coming in on this team. 
But by the time conference play, and the same thing's going to be for Auburn. So don't 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 get me wrong here. Same thing will be for but Auburn. I mean, we we say that every year for Auburn, and then they like somehow mess they around yeah. and don't lose in non conference. I know. Play I don't think it happens this year. I think Auburn will drop one or two in non con play. I think Arkansas will too. But by the time late they December, not lose to Northwestern. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, better not. But I think by the time end of December, early January rolls around, Arkansas is going to be scary, scary good. And I think Auburn could get to that point. I think it'll take them a little bit longer. We're going to wrap up the show talking Auburn basketball because uh, I, I liked where that conversation was going. We appreciate uh, everybody calling in. You can call in as well to wrap up the show, 334-321-1390. We will wrap up the Wednesday edition of On the Line right after this. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins Carter Bird with the next few minutes here on ESPN 1067. Stay tuned from 4 to 6. It'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck right here on ESPN 1067. A uh, reminder, we've got, uh, let's see, today is Wednesdays. We've got the Yankees Astros game one tonight of the ALCS. That'll be at 6 30 right after the Auburn High School football report uh, right here on ESPN 1067. So looking forward to tuning into that. But as we wrap up this Wednesday afternoon, uh, uh, we had Ty the Tiger talking about Auburn basketball. We mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show uh, because of SEC Men's Basketball Media Day and talking about the, the talent on this team. And he brought up the point that Bruce Pearl only has one solid starter right now, maybe two, depending on what the situation is. You, I liked what you were saying. That's not necessarily a bad thing because Auburn has a lot of new people. They lost a lot of good players and they're going to try and figure out who this who the best five guys are to start on this basketball team and you know what it's going to be like that for the first month or two of the season in non-conference play you're going to see some some starting lineups shift around until conference play starts to me i am so intrigued to see who plays the three for this team because alan flanagan was gone for a little while for for personal reasons and then chris moore has been kind of taking that starting role to this point who starts at the three? Chris Moore, you've heard positive things. You've heard he's further leaned up, which, I mean, I thought he was pretty. He was in pretty good shape last year. Uh, I think he's somebody who can who can definitely eat some solid minutes in the SEC. I'm very. That's the one position that I I'm curious about. How does the three shake out? I believe in Auburn's guards. I believe in. I mean, I believe in Wendell. I believe in KD. I believe in Zep. I believe in them if they improve. I think. I think. And they I will. think they will. Be. I think they will. And then down low, Jani Broom. I think he's going to be really good. I don't think we've seen somebody in recent years have the ability to dump the ball in down low and do actual post moves. We haven't seen that in a while. And then Trey Orr, and you've got other talent down there Jalen Williams you've got Dylan Cardwell who's one of the best backup centers or has been over the past couple years in the conference I am encouraged about the one two and four and five positions it's just what happens at the three is my biggest question mark going into this season yeah look Auburn's got a lot of talent man they do they've got a lot of talent that they've had from last year's team Uh, they've got a lot of talent recruit wise and they've got talent transfer portal wise and I think Auburn basketball, I've said it a lot. I'll continue to say it. I think this Auburn basketball team 
will be better than last year's team with Auburn. Um, Obviously, this year's team is not going to have a Jabari Smith, but you know what? The way that Bruce runs offense and runs his basketball team, Auburn doesn't necessarily need a Jabari Smith. And I think that's what you're going to see this year. You're going to see three, four, five guys be very impactful and make big plays for Auburn. And I think Auburn's going to have a really good year in basketball. We're less than a month away from the college basketball season. I don't want to wish away football, but man, I cannot wait. It is so much fun. That's all we got on this Wednesday afternoon. Come back tomorrow. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.